0: hello and welcome to the first and football show i am your host tobias brown and folks we are back with another great interview we've been doing a lot of 2023 nfl draft prospect interviews but we started dabbling into the coaching ranks and we're going to the great state of new york today i'm joined by sleepy hollow high school head coach jerry flora coach how are we doing today
1: Doing good. Thanks, Tobias. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. I know I introduced you as the current head coach of Sleepy Hollow, which you are, but you are much, much more than that. We got about at least 25 years of college coaching experience. Yeah, 28 to be exact. So you've been coaching college ball longer than I've been alive. So (laughs) check one, (laughs) you know, and we're also going to get into some of the really cool, you know, recruiting stuff that you're able to help some high school kids with but I want to I want to start this by going all the way back to the early years for you tell me a little bit about how you came to the game of football
1: yeah I'm I'm, I'm originally from Long Island um I play ball at a small school in Long Island called Bellport uh where, where they were a conference two team back then Long Island it's conference one two three four um, I was just telling a friend the other day I started playing football because my friends were playing football. I was fortunate. I was a big kid. I was 6'4, 235. I was I didn't I graduated high school at 17, so I was a year behind my body, so to speak. Um, never really played in high school. Um, had an opportunity, went to a college fair, um, met the coaches at Iona College in New Rochelle, which is now called Iona University. Um Went to college there, got in, didn't have great grades, got in because I was a big guy, had a really big growth spurt, went from 6, 6'4", 225, 235, came home after my first year, I was 6'7", 290. So three inches and 60 pounds will do it. Uh, went from being a non-factor to a, a four-year starter. Um Played on some really good teams. Fortunately, played around some really good guys that are out there coaching right now. Uh, played next to Kyle Flood, who's the uh, associate off- associate head coach of Texas. who's been all over the place. Uh, another one of my buddies, uh, Rocco Bellantoni, who's the defensive coordinator at, at FAU. Um, we were on the same team together. So, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And I learned towards the end that I wanted to get into coaching so I just, I started off as a student coach, you know, unlike nowadays, everybody wants to start off at the top. So I remember my first three jobs was I was in charge of making sure that the refrigerator had enough Pepsi in it, making sure that the scout reports had the right staple in the right corner, and that the cone, there were enough cones on the field for practice. And I made that the best job I could possibly make it. You know, or nowadays, you know, when you have a young kid on the staff and you ask him to do it, they're looking, you go, me? So isn't someone else supposed to do that? Um, so I always, I always joke around, you know, I always say that, you know, sometimes the guys that started in division three football sometimes become the best coaches because you learn how to, and that's Kyle. Kyle's a perfect example. He was a division three coach and he worked in the NFL and he's, he's been at Alabama. He's been all over the place. He's one of the best line coaches in the country. Um, you know, so I just started to start I got, I was there for, um, uh, about four years, I, I, I was a position, I didn't get a position coaching job till the end. Um, then that, my coach got let go. I had met a couple of guys at a camp, um, uh, went to work at FDU Madison, New Jersey for a year. Uh, got close with uh, Phil Longo, who's now the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. Um, him and I hit it off at a camp because we were running shoot guys. So I played for Coach Spence. Coach Spence is now the OC at Georgetown. He's been all over. He was at Clemson, and um, you know we hit it off. So Iran, I went to FDU for the year. I was driving from driving about an hour and ten minutes each direction because I was teaching. I was a part-time line coach, um, and then I I got went back to Iona when Fred Mariani got the job. Fred had come from Fordham. He'd been at Lehigh. He's been he'd been at Morehead State, a bunch of places to turn the program around. Uh, I knew the AD, uh, so the AD brought me back in for an interview with Fred. We hit it off. I worked with him for three years. Um, And then, you know, things always come full circle. We talk about never burning your bridges. Because I had built a connection with Phil, Phil was at William Patterson at the time with with the guy I worked for at FDU because they took the job at William Patterson. He calls me like three weeks before the end of the season and says, I'm going to be taking a job. I think he went with Wheeler. No, Coach uh, Casey Keeler down at Sam Houston. He left, and he said, I'm going to be leaving, and uh, I got the job at William Patterson. I was there for three years. That staff got let go. Um, I had an opportunity, probably the turning point of my career, because Mike Miello had come in from Rutgers. Uh, when Greg was at Rutgers for the first time, uh, Coach Ciano had played for Coach Miello in high school. So coach Miello had come in, he took over, brought another coach with him. And ironically enough, you know, I always tell people that, you know, I guess my thing has always been work ethic. And at the time, William Patterson had one full-time guy and a head coach. And when the season ended, everybody was just like, you know, you're going to have to go look for a job because usually they bring a guy in and he cleans house. And I really didn't know a lot of people at the time. So I just kind of put my head down. I, we had a a secretary outside. Um, I had a student worker. I went out and recruited. Um, I did everything for like two months, ran the strength program, did the visits, uh, the whole nine yards. So Mike got hired. I'll never forget. I was in my office packing up my stuff. He'd already hired a guy. um, So I knew that I was out. Uh, He'd come in my office. Uh, We had met before, asked me to come down to his office, came, we sat in his office and he said, you know, I heard some really good things about what you're doing. And, you know, he he asked me a couple of questions. He just asked me how recruiting was going. I told him at the time we'd had five recruiting visits. We had brought in about 40 guys. Um, I had told him that I was running the strength program. So I was getting, I was leaving my house in White Plains at like 345 in the morning, getting to the school, opening the weight room, doing the weight room from uh, 545 to 730. Going down, showering, changing, putting on my suit, doing the tour around campus with the visit, and doing that from like 8:30 till like three. Going back, put my clothes back on, open the weight room from 315 to 515, and then go make recruiting calls from 530 to 8, and then go home with no head coach and no in, no interest. That I was gonna have a job. Uh, we had, had 13 commits already to the program. I had brought in two division one transfers. We had 70, almost 70 guys working out in a program that towards the end of that last season had close to 40 or 50. So he was like, man, we'd love to hire you. And I was like, well, you know, there's only two two full-time jobs here. He said, just give me a couple minutes. He got up. Never forget, he walked back down. He came back. He said, you can go put your stuff back in that office. And so I, I'm basically the guy that created the third full-time position at William Patterson. And uh, I worked with him for three years, which was amazing. And then, you know, I took over in 2008.
0: You were there for, you were the head
1: guy for 10 seasons, correct? Yeah, I was a head coach from 2008 to 2017. And, you know, one of the things like I've, I've, one thing I've learned in my lifetime is nothing comes without hard work. Um, even when I got, even when Mike would, had stepped down and Ed had stepped down. There was still an indication that I wasn't going to get the job. And th- at that point I'd had close to fifteen seasons in, in coaching. Um and I still had to prove myself fifteen years in with an interim level position. I mean, they gave me a year to show what I can do, and you know, I just kind of put my head down and rolled. And uh was fortunate to make it 10 years. I mean, you know, most head coaches on any level, you know, lucky to get to about four or five, and um it was it was a good time. It really was.
0: You know, and You have coached, obviously, we talked about 28 years in college. Now the head coach there, Sleepy Hollow. So I'm always interested when guys have spent their entire career coaching, there's usually a moment where a guy's like, yeah, that's when I got bit by the coaching bug. Do you have like a specific memory or a specific moment in time where you were like, yes, this is what I want to do. I just love this game too much to ever walk away from it?
1: Yeah, I think it was, you know, I think it was when I met Phil that summer. Because unfortunately for a good amount of my years, it was just kind of a part-time gig. So I was a part-time assistant. I was a teacher, you know, and I had done a couple of camps in the summer, but it wasn't really serious. And then one summer I did a camp with Sports International. Michael Strahan was the headliner, was at FDU Madison. It's about 700 kids. I took a chance. I I said, you know what? The heck with my lifeguard job. I'm going to go do this camp for five days. And it was amazing. I met so many coaches I had never gone to the convention at that point. I had never really gone to a clinic, um, and I met met so many. And I mean, there were nights that Phil and I would just sit and just do X's and O's, and it made me realize, wow, this is pretty cool. So when I got the the full time job at William Patterson, that's kind of when I knew that it was it was it was ready for a change.
0: You know, and we talked about you being the head guy there for ten years, but when you're an assistant for so long, when you know you go through all those different you know, assistant roles. You talked about the first one as a student assistant, talked about just stocking the Pepsi, making sure the staple is right. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment where you were like, yeah, I want to be a head coach. Or when that position came open, was it like, yeah, why not?
1: Actually, when, when I worked for Crocker, my, my, my guy, who I played for, I was with him for five years. And in season four, I felt like I was ready to be a full-time employee because I had, yeah, you know, it was pretty much because I'd spent my whole life at Iona. And then they had brought in a guy from the outside. And I kind of felt a little slighted because I felt like I, I should have been the guy. And then as I got older, I realized I wasn't ready. I I, when I, I knew I was ready when I worked with Mike and Ed in that second stint at William Patterson from 05 to 07. Working with those two guys was amazing. I mean, Mike, Mike had coached uh, Chris Sims in high school. He coached coached Greg Sciano. He had some really good state championship teams in Jersey. Ed Stinson was one of the best defensive coordinators in the state. So I got a chance to work with two amazing football coaches. And it worked out because I was kind of doing a lot of the, I did all the other stuff. So I was the strength coach. I was the recruiting coordinator, the special teams coordinator. And and I handled a lot of the academics. So I handled the periphery stuff. Mike handled the offense. Ed handled the defense. It was just a kind of a match made in heaven. And when Mike stepped down, I knew at that point I I was I was my time, you know, si- similar to the way it is now. Because when I left, uh, Dustin Johnson came in. Dustin was from Stevenson. Uh, Dustin was there for three and a half years, left. He's at Villanova. But my assistant that I had hired, Sean Williams, to play with the New York Giants, Um, you know, when I hired him, he was with me for the length of my time and he was probably in a very similar situation. I was, I had left Dustin came in, he stayed on board. He worked with Dustin a couple of years, Dustin left. He became the head coach.
0: So talk about your time. there as the head guy. You know, you talked about all those years of being an assistant. What was the moment? Like when you found out like, Hey, this is your team now, like you are the head coach. What were your feelings like when you found out you got the job?
1: Well, I, you know, like I said, I was interim, I was on the road, I was actually in Central Jersey recruiting, I was at a basketball game, you know, people laugh, like, you know, they think the coaches just go to football games, and I was at a basketball game watching a kid that ended up being a captain for us, and, and uh, I was driving back, and, you know, it was late in the recruiting season when they asked, when they appointed me, it was like a week before Christmas, and I had gone come back, and, and, and I had met a bunch of the guys at, at the basketball game at halftime, and they made an announcement that I was an interim. Um, and I I've, I, I knew I knew I was more than capable. I, I think it was just a matter of impressing the higher-ups. Um, but the thing that really just kind of resonated to me was because I had started doing these camps with Michael Strahan and with some of these pro guys, I became close friends with Charles Way, who played fullback for the Giants. Him and I had a great relationship. He was the director of player development with the Giants and, Ended up getting the job with the with the NFL front office with with Goodell, and he was doing a lot of that stuff. And I think Troy Vincent had taken over since he left, or someone else, I forgot who. And and a, one of his goals was he wanted to try and create a, a a a bridge for former players to become coaches. And he knew I was all about that because that's the way I was. So interestingly enough, I had interviewed Sam Garns, who he had just retired from the Jets. It didn't work out. There was a league that had started out in in, uh, out in Nevada that Fossil had gotten a job. And Sam was like, listen, if Fossil gets this job, I'm going to go. And then uh, next next week I met with Sean at a local eatery and uh, just an absolutely amazing person. I mean, we sat for almost an hour and a half and this guy's in the ring of honor for the Giants and probably one of their best safeties ever. And I'm sitting there tickling myself saying, I can't believe I'm talking to an NFL guy and uh so fortunately, at one point in my career, I tell people this all the time, I had three former NFL players on my staff. He was my defensive coordinator. Tank Daniels, who played with the Eagles and the Giants, who won a Super Bowl with, with the Giants in the game at the catch with David Tyree. He was my special teams coordinator. And Tony Woods, who'd played with the Redskins, the Rams, and the Seahawks, was my D-line coach. And it was amazing. Like, I, I was the offensive coordinator But like during individual, I didn't coach a position. So I would go down to the defensive side of the field to take notes. Never had to take notes. I just sat and watched some of these guys coach. It was just amazing.
0: So, you know, one thing that people don't understand, people think when you go to a small D3, like, oh, you went there because you weren't talented enough, but you just hit on the first stigma. And that is sometimes people think small schools don't have the coaching. You had three NFL guys on your coaching staff. So, in your tenure there at William Patterson, by the time you left, you were the second winningest coach of all time. You were two wins off the guy who's all time winning his coach. Right. So a lot of success there. Were there any guys that you had on that roster? Obviously in 10 years, you're going to coach a lot of dudes, but was there any guys that stand out as just being like, Hey, that guy was uber talented.
1: Yeah, we had, you know, unfortunately, I mean, we, we played in a really, really tough conference and Yeah, we had a couple of five the highest we ever got was five wins, which for them was a lot. I mean, I can't honestly say I've ever had a winning season beyond five wins. Um, but we were always a four or five win team until our conference merged with the Capitol and we had to play the likes of Wesley and Salisbury and Frostburg, and it was just it's like playing the Big Ten. Um but yeah, I was fortunate. I was I just did I just wrote something up on Twitter the other day. I was fortunate in, in 10 years to have five five of my players were pro prospects which in division three is kind of unheard of um, uh, Joel Rivera is was the all-time leading receiver uh, he had a tryout with the Jets uh, Deshaun Johnson had a tryout with the Packers um, we had a guy that had a tryout with two guys with the Jets one with the Giants one with the Packers and one with the Philadelphia Soul so um, I would say that you know Joel, it's hard to say because, you know, some guys were good for defense, some guys were good for offense. So it was, you know, we have four players now in the Hall of Fame that from when I was there. So we did some good things. But the biggest thing that I hang my head on is we had 125 seniors, 119 of them got their degrees. I think of the 119 now, probably close to 40 of them are coaching football in the state of New Jersey, and a bunch of them are head coaches. So you know what? I always tell people, you know, the winning percentage is great. And in 10 or 15 years, not, no one's really going to care how many championships you won. They're going to care where what, what your players are doing. So that's, to me, the my biggest winning percentage that I had in college.
0: You know, and like we talked about, you were at William Patterson for 10 years. So when you ultimately decided to step down there, did you ever think you'd get back into coaching football? Or when you stepped down, did you think like, hey, I'm about to start a new venture in life?
1: No, I, I I, you know, I had a rough three years. Like I said, we played. We beat Montclair my second to last year for the first time in 18 years or whatever it was, 20 years. And then we had an 0 season, and, and I remember talking to Coach Gallagher, who was the guy who had the most wins, and and he had a couple of nine-win seasons, and he had said to me one day, he said, he goes, Jerry, I wasn't any different when we won nine games than we went 0 You know, because you get to a point where you start to put it on yourself, and you think, okay – you know, maybe I'm not a good coach. Maybe I'm not getting my point across. Um, So I had stepped down. I took a job on campus because I wanted to be an administrator across campus. uh, With the rec department, I became the director of club sports. So I oversaw rugby, um, bowling, ice hockey, cheer and dance teams. And then what I did was I I wanted to see, you know, maybe the coaching bug was still, I'll go play at a school that had a really good reputation. So my buddy Dan Garrett at the time was the head coach at Kane, and they were looking for an offensive coordinator. And I knew it was going to be a little uncomfortable because I was coaching at the school, working at the school I used to head coach at, and now I'm going to be coaching at a competitor. And I did that. We, we drove back and forth. It was tough. Uh, but at the end of the day, when the season ended, I realized that it didn't matter how, what they had, it was time to step away from coaching.
0: You know, we talked about you do some really cool things outside of the realm of coaching, you know, you and I talked a little bit about your company and what they offer and a lot of people call it recruiting services but you know you, when we talked off the record you talked about you see yourself as a recruiter, you've been doing it for so long in the college game and it's so interesting in today's world, how many opportunities are out there now to play football? You know, we look at the professional level, and it's not just the NFL or bust anymore. You have the USFL, XFL, and a lot of colleges are adding football to their sports. I mean, a lot of programs that were without football are now adding football. So talk a little bit about your company that you have and what was the vision to get that started?
1: Well, I already had a company. It was Camp Business, and and so when I left coaching – you know, I, I spent a, a couple of years trying to figure out what, what the next niche was going to be. The best thing I ever did was I I got talked into taking a class with this company called Sports Management Worldwide. Um uh it was just probably one of the most amazing classes I took. I took a class in in GM and Scouting. So I learned all about the, the draft and 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 the process and free agency and all that stuff. And Mark Dominic taught the class. He used to be the GM with the with the Bucks. Uh Tito Wooten and uh, Russ Landy, who Russ Landy is the U.S. scout for the Calgary, no, for the Montreal Allonauts. And we become close. And um it was just an amazing class. It just made me I was I was trying to get into NFL as a scout. That was kind of my goal. Uh, at the time I had one of my former players was with the Saints as an assistant line coach. He's now with the Chargers. And part of my class was I had to interview an executive, so I interviewed three executives. I interviewed uh, Mark, Terry Fontenot, who's now the GM with the Falcons. He was the assistant GM with the Saints, the associate head coach, the associate AD for football at North Carolina through Phil, and um, and then the, uh, the the CFO for Harris Blitzer Entertainment. They own the Devils, the Sixers, and so on. So I'd met him at a, a job fair. And Terry and I hit it off. We were on the phone for almost an hour and a half, and he told me how to, you know, how to redefine myself, and and you know, thought that you know, it would be there was a possibility that I could go down and maybe shadow them for a couple of weeks. But this is during COVID, and they were, COVID wasn't letting anybody new into their facilities. And I always tell people to get into the NFL; it's like a slim, slim, slim chance. And once that window opens, if you don't take it, it's never going to open again. And I feel like that was my chance because I was willing to take a month and go down there. And I knew I'd go down there and kill it because Terry was talking about how um, Peyton was a big fan because my problem had been everybody wanted younger. uh, And I was older. And I said, you know, what do you do during these COVID days when you can't go out recruiting? You need a guy that can pick up the phone and call up a guy and, and talk to a guy instead of like, who the heck are you? And he was telling me there were still some people that were about older. They were they were a big fan and having old head coaches on staff. So I left that. I found this other company. I worked with them, like I said to you. It was a good experience. I had already had my business. And I realized after three months with the other company that people weren't signing up because of the company. They were signing up because of me. And I've never really been about myself it's really it's never been about me it's been about everybody else and for a change in my life I decided you know what maybe I could do this on my own and uh I'm three years in now um I've represented uh somewhat close to 50 something products so I'm not I'm not putting out hundreds of kids a year I keep my numbers to about 22 23 I do all sports I got a baseball player out there I got a softball player out there I got a track kid um, I placed kids on at, at Penn State. I got a kid at West Point, kid at uh, Navy, um, Central Michigan, and then a lot of D2s, one A's, and all the way down to Hopkins and, and some of the really good academic schools. And now the big push is prep school. I'm placing kids in really good prep schools. i built a relationship. And I think the biggest thing, Tobias, that's that's really kind of humbled me now almost 30 years later is it's really cool when you get followed by a coach at a bigger school and then i and then i'll usually dm him and say hey thanks for 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 you know for following me say coach man you're doing a heck of a job or i heard a lot about you and you know you start to build a rep- reputation for being credible and you know they start to see you are putting the guy in columbia or you help the guy get to brown or you know, you're helping this kid at my and 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 now I'm working with 13, I'm I'm in 13 states now across the country, where I used to be just a northeast guy. I'm working with a kid in Idaho and, you know, a kid in Alabama, and so I just now I feel humbled that I found my niche. So it's it's
0: exciting. You know, and some people might say, "Well, only 20 clients a year." You know, some people are like, "Why why not expand?" But one thing you said to me off the record that really struck me, and I think it's why you've been so successful is the 20 to 25 allows you to put that personal touch on things. Can you talk about how important you feel it is to, you know, no matter how big you get, no matter how successful you get, to still be true to yourself and always keep that personal touch with what you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's critical. I mean, that's just the way I built my brand as a as a coach and as a player. Um, you know, I, I, I put a lot of time and effort. I was telling a kid the other day, like, a lot of kids nowadays they'll just send emails and, and parents don't understand why the coaches aren't responding and I, and I remember as a former coach a division three coach, you know I may only have 500 emails a day whereas the big time guys you got you get a couple of zeros onto that um and they just don't have the time or the, the to get to it. so what I love about keeping the numbers down is it allows me to call coaches, text messages, DM coaches. I have a system where I'll work on, you know, four to five guys a day. Uh, some guys are easier than others. Some guys need a little bit more work. Uh, but, like, right now, I got a kid from Jersey, for example, Lyman, who's 6'5", 250, who I'm like, you know, I'm talking to the dad on the phone. He's telling me the grandfather played in the NFL. The grandfather was 6'7". The kid's only 50. I'm thinking, well, has this kid got nothing? And, uh, you know, the dad was hesitant. So like one of the things that I do that I know a lot of people don't do is I'm like, all right, listen, you know what? Give me a couple of weeks. Well, give me a, give me a week, give me a week. And you know, if I get nothing, you can go your merry way. You haven't signed up or anything, but I feel pretty confident that with my connections, I'm going to get this kid something. Well, he's got like 10 or 11 schools right now that love him. They're inviting him for junior days. And cause everything's like you said earlier, like Twitter spreads like wildfire. Well, if you know people once you put the first name out there, once the first school loves you, then everyone else loves you. And so it's so it's um the personal touch is important to me. It's yeah, you know, money, it's money is important, but I don't charge a lot. Um, you know, I I I mean, like you, like you, like I I look at this as a secondary job. Um, you know, I probably could charge more, but I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be different. And and, it'll, and the beauty about being in chart, being your own chart, your own boss is, you know, you can tweak the prices if you need to, or, you know, you can work with like a try and work with three or four kids a year for free. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of people that do that. Like, uh, I don't charge freshmen, like what you can do for a freshman, you can do for a sophomore. So for a freshman, I do free free consultation. These are things that people don't see. They just see you put your name out there. And they just assume you're like everybody else. So,
0: you know, one thing that I'm always interested in is, you know, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording about there's a lot of services out there. Not all of them are as credible. Not all of them are as above water. So when a kid is looking to get the helps, you know, like somebody like yourself who's in the recruiting business who has these connections, where would you tell a kid to start when they're like, I know I need help with this recruiting process, but I don't know where to go or what to really look for to find a credible option?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I definitely don't do is I, I definitely, I'm not in the business to to take down other people. Uh, I know I've had other people. I just had someone the other day, get on my, my, my Twitter page. And because uh, interestingly enough, we, uh, through this company, through Chad Jones, who owns Global Consultant, he just started. Uh, I worked with him at another company he, he's using my network to, to help, you know, expand uh, expand his brand. But he signed on with with Zybeck Sports, who does the NFL Combine testing. So, you know, I we did a Zoom with Mike, the guy that owns the company, for an hour and a half, and they talked about how he does the testing, and he went through everything from the digital part. To, so now I've been posting it because they're going to come and do the testing at my place. What? Yeah. So. um so so you know I put it out there. So someone jumped on my Twitter page saying, oh no, that's wrong. And you 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 don't know what you're talking about. Meantime, I'm like, dude, I was just on the phone with the guy who owns the company. So, you know, so then I go on and check his check him. He's got six followers. So, like, no, no, like there's no need to jump on, like, if you don't have something nice to say, don't, don't say anything at all. But um, you know, I just think that, um, so what do you say? I tell kids all the time, before COVID, you could you could get away with starting after your junior year. Everything is accelerated by a year now. So if you could start after a sophomore year, great, or when you have varsity film. So the difference is, if, like, I got a ninth grader that's got varsity film. So I'm able to get, put him out there because he's got film. If he doesn't have film... Then you're trying to get that kid to camp. So like I'm working with three ninth graders right now that I'm not charging. The dads want to pay me. And I, I told them I go by the clock. So their clock, July 1, is when they become a sophomore. So I said at that point, if you want to talk about paying me, fine. But until that time, I want no money. Um, so I've done Zooms with the kids, I've done tutorials and how to fix their Twitter pages. I've put information out for them for camps. So you know but I, I i just think that a lot of people i don't think a lot of families do their research um and i think that's the big problem and i think that they pool everything in i literally had a parent a year uh, a year ago roughly a year ago today tell me uh, a competing camp the same as mine for two and a half hours with testing and the whole nine yards i charged 70 that camp charged 280 I was literally told that the reason why we're going with that camp is because it costs more. Because we figured at 70, you guys were really cheap. So, so basically we're saying a, a, a BMW is better than a Toyota or a Dodge or a Ford for that matter.
0: And that's – I mean, people get caught up sometimes in sticker price. But, you know, one thing you said that I want to hit on because this is, this is really the name of the game now is Twitter. And you talked about helping kids fix their Twitter. You know a lot of kids don't understand that one wrong move on Twitter and coach is done. you know they'll they'll write you off for just a bad Twitter bio. Yeah. So when you're looking at a kid's Twitter, you're looking at maybe the script that a kid has that he sends to a coach when they follow him, what what are you looking for and how are you helping tweak that?
1: Well, what happened was when I did my my phone interview with Terry, Terry basically helped me transform myself. I mean, i I literally, He told me this three things. He said, because there's so many coaches now on social media. When they scroll through, if they don't, if they see a gray box, like some guys won't put a picture, they see a dormant site. They keep scrolling. So he said to me on the phone. He said, you have no idea who may have seen your post. He goes, you you may have had the GM with the Giants, but you wouldn't know because you 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 didn't have a picture up there. So he, so I tell guys all the time. This is once again information that people are like. Oh, will you give out too much information? You should charge more. No, 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 no. My job. I'm a former college coach. I want to help. Now I get paid for some things, but I still want to help. So it's there's three things that Terry told me that I tell all my prospects to use, and their 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 followers jump like this. So it's not about you following 5,000 and having 60 followers. It's about the other way around. So the first thing I was told that I tell all my prospects is there's got to be an action photo in that box. And then whatever you put in that little box is fine, but there's got to be something there. If it's a gray box, it's not going to help you because they're just going to keep going. The second thing is your little info bar. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but but Terry had said to me, he said, you know, do you know what your 22nd elevator speech is? I said, no, what does that mean? He said, that's what your info bar is. And so I, I don't understand he he said he asked me he said do you have like an iconic figure that you i said i've always loved bill parcells so he's like let's pretend you get in the elevator at the hilton you're on the 10th floor you got 10 floors non-stop to have a conversation with bill and tell him as much as you can tell him about you without regurgitating too much information where he gets turned off from you but he wants just enough information that when you get to the first floor and the doors open you ask him for his business card. You ask, there's a there's exchange right there. I said because if he walks out, you're probably never going to see him again. He said that's your twenty second elevator speech, and I just never actually thought of it that way. So I tell my prospects all the time, you know, you got to put enough information on there to give them information about you, but not too much information. So for example, put your email on there, but don't put your phone number on there. It's kind of like that first girl you were dating. You want to go out with her, but she never gave you a phone number. You went out with her, you went out with her, she gave you her email. She said, go through my friend, go through my colleague, slip me a note on the door. She didn't want to give you a phone number because she wanted you to hold out. Well, it's the same thing. If you put your phone number on there with your email, boom, they got all the information they need. But if there's no phone number and they like you and they email you, they're going to ask you for your phone number. Just little things. You gotta have your ID number on there. You gotta have some academic information on there. You gotta have your height, your weight. so you go through the stuff they need. And then the third thing is you gotta pin post your video at the top of the page. Coaches don't have time to do this. If a coach has to do this, they're doing that. So, you know, a lot of guys won't pin post their their video on the top of the page, or you'll see them on their page constantly retweeting other players' posts. You don't need to help your teammates. I had a guy once that kept tweeting his teammates posts and I was, he was trying to get it in like maybe Lafayette or whatever. And some of the coach went on to his page and the kid was like three days later that Lafayette came in, but didn't talk to him. Probably because they saw you were retweeting your other guys posts. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's, those are the three big things. Like if anyone gets from this call that you put out there, those are the three things that are priceless that people say, Oh, you got to charge for that. Well, you know what? I don't have to charge for that because I am who I am.
0: You know, when you talked about that film, a lot of people don't understand huddle film. They're like, Oh, let me put together uh, you know, twenty minute clip of my five best games. And, you know, I you know, if I'm a wide receiver, all I'm gonna put is my go routes, my eighty yard go route touchdowns. When you're talking to kids and you're chopping up, you know, helping them chop up their film, helping them make a good huddle tape, what are we looking for? And what it what makes a good huddle film that's eye-catching when a coach clicks on it?
1: The top three things that I heard that that I've used with with our guys is the first is your game shouldn't be in chronological order. The reason why is because when you when you play your games in the season, the games are all chronological order. So all it looks like is you went boom, 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 boom. Okay, video. You want it to look interesting. You went from play one to ten, two to nine, three to eight, six to seven. One to six. So it looks like you actually sat there and you actually did some work. Um, The second thing is they say, well, at least from what I'm, at least in my opinion, that I've been told and what I've gone with, is you never want to post the same play twice. So if a really good end zone shot and a really good sideline, you don't want to post that play twice, because that means you don't have enough clips. So let's say two plays, one play you caught a really good out route, but they got a shot of that from the end zone. You're like, I want to I include that. Well, if you do that four or five times, it looks like you don't have a lot of clips. And then the third big no-no is, at least in my mind, is if you hit a guy, and you, whether it's legal or not, and you're standing over him, staring at him, or you're pointing up at the stands, or you're doing this, or you're doing the chest bump, you're doing doing something to, to put yourself out there, a lot of coaches don't like that because at the end of the day, coaches are looking for a guy that's accountable, a guy that's responsible, and a guy that has good character. If you got athletic ability, that's a bonus. So,
0: you know, one thing that I'm always interested in too is, you know, obviously football talent is what coaches are looking for. Right. But kids don't understand when you're talking about college; there's still an academic standard you have to meet to even get your foot in yeah. the door. So when you're talking to these kids and you're talking to their parents and you're helping them with this recruiting process, how much do you stress academics and making sure that their grades are still on par to even be eligible for some of these schools?
1: Well, that helps me kind of weed down my my, my class. So when I get my class to 22 or 23, uh, I'm not I'm not always looking to work with the high-end student. So I don't want to say that I only work with the high-end student because I have worked with some low-end students, but I'm looking for the same thing as a college coach. I'm looking for ascending grades. Descending grades, a lot of college admissions programs aren't looking at that. If you, you started with 100 your first year and you then went to a 90 and an 80 and a 60, you got no chance. But if you got a 60, 65, 70, 80, even though your overall GPA is a 2.3, you're going in the right direction. So so I, I talk about that all the time. I always tell prospects, you want to try and stay over an 80. 80 is kind of the benchmark, which is kind of like a, you know, just the low threes um if anything try and, try and pass the class uh instead of failing it if you have an option to retake it try and retake it um but you know it's you know it's critical like even at the we're on a the kid I got right now is a he's a 14 year old freshman uh he's pushing 6 foot 170 160 he's was all league he's going to be a heck of a player he's 14 years old and uh he had a really, really bad uh semester where he was like on level one in academics. Um and what I do is I do the same thing I did in college. You know, first thing is we'll pull that guy away. We put him on probation, uh, which means he could practice, but he can't play games. And we do that as a football perspective. So we, that's not a school thing. We do that as a program, uh, so that there's some sort of level of um responsibility now. Um And then he gets some tutoring. and But like him and I had a sit down because he feels like he's a a high-end guy. And I said, to be that high-end guy now, that's like the top 1% now. If you want to be a high-end guy, you got to be a high-end guy all the time. You got to be a high-end guy in community service and not get into trouble in academics in the 40, in running routes, and to be the best at eating lunch. I mean, you got to be the best of the best every time. And interestingly enough, now his grades are over an 80 and we got him in for a camp. One of my former assistants is at Rutgers, so he's going to go to a Rutgers camp. And then I spoke to uh, Coach Bartel, who got hired at Nebraska from UConn. We're going to try and get him out there so he can get around some of the best talent. But um, they tell guys all the time, you got no chance in the 70s, unfortunately. I mean, the, the clearinghouse gives you that luxury but there aren't many guys in the 70s that are scoring 1,200 on their boards. You'll find a lot more 880 guys doing 3 work than you'll see two 5 guys doing 1,200.
0: You know, one thing you've hit on a lot is the networking, the relationships you've built and kids sometimes look at an offer or a coach reaches out to them and it's from a small school that they're like, I don't care. And they blow that relationship off and they blow that opportunity off. Can you talk about how important it is to never belittle a relationship and never belittle an opportunity and just how vital networking is to be able to last in this, you know, in this sport? Yeah,
1: it's it's critical. I have a kid, quarterback and kicker right now are probably the two toughest positions just because of the, um, you know, the portal and the COVID year. So, you know, like you know, for example, if you have a fifth year senior at a Division one school, he's got the COVID year. He's coming back. Fourth year guys coming back. Third year guys coming back. You know, then i not bringing any quarterbacks, and I have a kid right now, unfortunately, that had an opportunity at two preps, and he was an Ivy League type of kid. And there were no Ivy League type of offers. And he told the prep, yeah, I'm not interested. I'm going to play out my options. Well, now he's got nowhere to go. And he wants me to double back to that prep. Well, that, that prep's full. They took the spot. There's, Like I tell guys all the time, if you mess up, there's thousands of people behind you waiting on the line. And I, I'm probably exaggerating. There's probably a couple more zeros behind that. So, you know... And then you get the guys that are like, well, you know, because everyone says they want to be a D1 guy, and now it's harder to to be a D1 guy. This year, I will say of the this year's class, two years ago I had a lot of Division One guys. This year, I had a lot of Division Two guys. I think the Division Two schools are making a uh, are making a killing now because of the portal and everything. They're swooping in and offering a lot of scholarships. I have a lot of kids going Division Two, and that's not bad. Uh, Daniel Long out of Northwest PA. Wanted Division One as his number one option. He ended up at Slippery Rock. Slippery Rock is a good program. You know, um, Derek Hole in Ohio, out by you. He wanted to be at a Miami of Ohio, a Bowling Green. He ended up at uh, at Finley. Not a bad deal. Um, you know, got guys out here going to New Haven and, and Lock Haven and East Stroudsburg and, you know, Chawon. Not They're not bad deals. Um, if, if, at the end of the day, if you're getting a scholarship to play, take it um you know i played division three ball so i i don't it's the best experience of my life playing division three ball i learned how to do everything on the bottom level um but nowadays you know even if it's division three like i got a quarterback from new jersey that another ivy league kid he got offered at gettysburg he's going to gettysburg great academic institution He's going to get a great degree um i got a kid from new jersey that was at uh bergen catholic of all places he's at he's at uh john hopkins you know they wanted a good academic school so there's something to be said for um you know knowing what you want but i think too many people think that you know they they see the delusion of grandeur being division one and i and i may be over exaggerate when i say the top one percent it may be like the top point one percent because if you think about it tobias i mean think about this this is a pretty scary number there's 300 scholarship schools in the country, roughly. And each school offers 25 scholarships. And I've spoke to head coaches that told me right now, everyone's going through the portal. It's all transfer-based. It's year by year. The, the four-year thing is not as big as it was. So if you're offering half your scholarships to transfers, that 750 just became 375 You take that 375 and knock another 100 a quarter off for the COVID year, because like at Bryant, I'm talking to the line coach. Like he's like, yeah, we got five guys coming back. So now that 375 just became 250. If you take another 50 off for the guys that are transferring because of NIL, now you're down to 200. You tell me there's 200 scholarship players in the country? No, no, there's a lot more. So then you have to you have to suck it up and think to yourself, okay, you know a lot of you know go to play one double a or go play division two or go prep and then maybe transfer but you know i've had kids say well what if i do this and then i try and transfer or like we got i got kids that like are like preferred walk-on at a fcs and then they want to go in the portal i go listen you're a walk-on you unless you're transferring as a scholarship player a walk-on is not going to get a walk-on somewhere else it's just, it's just, you know, I'm honest. And I think that's one of the things maybe maybe why my client level is low. My players will tell you that my biggest plus was I was honest and my biggest negative was I was honest. So when I give you an evaluation based on your ability, I'm going to give you an evaluation of what I think you can play. The golden rule, truth hurts. Truth hurts yeah, sometimes. Man, I've been told a number of times I wasn't very good. I mean, that's why I think I've gotten – to the point where I'm in, I failed so many times. It's the only reason I've become successful. I'm glad I failed. I mean, between trying out for football, trying out for basketball in high school, five years in a row, getting cut, five, no one gets cut now. They're cut five years in a row. Who goes back after the sixth year? You know, having to earn a head coaching job after being an assistant for 15 years and going interim you know, having to earn a position after a staff gets fired. I mean, it's, you know, after 52 years of coaching, you know, now you're fighting to try and earn respect in a high school. It's, you know, it is what it is. You just, you you have two options. You either go forward or you go
0: backwards. So I have to ask you because a lot of people are going to wonder, your company's having a lot of success. You're doing a lot of big things. So what ultimately led you to get back into coaching and take the hood coaching position at a school like Sleepy Hollow High School, who, I mean, if you Google the football program, Bleacher Report did write an article on you guys back in 2013, giving you guys the title for the scariest mascot in the country. So, I yeah. mean, hats off to you guys. But tell me a little bit about how you came to that Sleepy Hollow position.
1: Yeah, no, I, we got the coolest mascot in the country. They're the only one. We got the Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman runs out on game day. Um, you know, I just, you know – I'll be honest with you, as I've been the the whole call when I when I got done coaching in college after my last couple of years and then the scouting thing not panning out, I just figured, you know what, maybe football is over. And I happened to be, uh, you know, redefining myself. I was trying to become an AD. I interviewed for a couple of jobs. I had a couple of friends that were superintendents get me in the mix. I always made it to the final step because I didn't have any administrative experience. They always went over someone with administrative experience, but it never stopped me. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. And I happened to volunteer with the staff a couple of years ago. Uh, I told him I would I would just deal with the with the outside stuff. I'll just, you know, take a look at practice. And he had asked me to, you know, give him a report. And uh and they hired a new AD. He'd come from Rye, young guy. Um, I actually had interviewed for the job. I knew I wasn't gonna get it but I, it was a good experience to interview him. And I got really close during the year and he would always ask me questions in the game. What would you do here? What would you do here? What about this? What about that? And I never had a headset. I just kind of did my own thing. And when the year ended, um, you know, he, uh, he said to me, he said, you know, why is the most ex- uh, ex- experienced guy in the staff not ever set of headsets? And I said, I, I wasn't feeling good about myself from a coaching standpoint and I, uh, the guy that was their step down, they asked me to interview, I interviewed, I got hired. Um, and the only reason I took the job was because, you know, one of the things that I, I just said this to a friend of mine the other day, you know, when you, when you work anywhere in life, you want to be around somewhere where they care enough to give you a chance to win. And I felt like my last three, three years at, you know, in college, the, the, those opportunities, it was, it was tough. Um, and, and since I've been at sleepy hollow, it's been great. Like I almost, you know, you got a program that's got a storied career back in the fifties, sixties, in the old milltown seventies, eighties, even the nineties, they were a powerhouse There's a major drop off 13. I think they were in the state play or they were in the sectional playoffs. Actually, my buddy was the head coach. And then since then there had been a drop off and, and, um, I just felt like this was an opportunity to kind of, rewrite my story I felt like my story wasn't going to end the way it was going to end and uh, I didn't want to be a washed up guy that never coached that got into scouting and that was it and uh, I'm one of the VPs of the section I help out with a lot of the college stuff I was the head coach of the all-star game this past year the showcase I'm running in section one is to highlight our players but we're going to get players from all over and you know, I just have done a lot of things. You know, people look at me, I've just done things at an accelerated rate because I'm 52, um, and I'm doing everything that I did wrong. And I'm trying to do it right, and I have a chance, and a lot of people don't get a second chance.
0: You know, one thing I find so incredible about your guys' program is, you know, on the field, you're you're making the program better. You know, read articles about how you guys are – running it like a college program, you know, as far as grading practices, filming practices, the things that the kids have exposure to are not things that small town high school kids have exposure to, but also some of the other things that kids are getting an opportunity to do off the field through your connections, whether it be volunteering and scouting departments, going and assisting at college practices, talk about, you know, the culture change that you're helping undertake there at sleepy hollow.
1: Yeah, it's a full culture change. I mean, we've uh, when I took over, we we started a board. We have a board for our varsity, so the bo- board makes all the decisions. Uh, I actually just took over the the junior program as well, so I'll be starting a board for that. Uh, we actually just had our banquet yesterday. Um, you know, we've done two ring of honor classes that we voted in to to do at our golf outing, and um, you know, we're just. Uh, you know just everything that I everything that that I thought I needed to do um when I was in college I'm doing now so like when I got hired there they never filmed. So we got an end zone camera. Um, you know in college I was fortunate I used to have between seven to seven to ten student workers uh, that got work study. in high school they're called managers. To me a manager takes stats. so our student workers work. I'm fortunate I have a kid that's director of football operations. He's been a DFO for me since 10th grade. Yeah, he's a 10th grader, but he carries himself like he's a 12th grader. And because of him, we have three other kids in his class. We just brought on two sophomores and a freshman. You know, like they get they like our kids have to get x amount of community service hours in a in a in 4 years. Our kids are getting them in 3 months. Um, you know, one of my guys, the Scott as you said, um, I'm friends with Clayton Holmes, the chief of staff at West Point, and we were able to get Scott in there for a five-week internship, which was priceless. Um, you know, Aden, who played quarterback for me, is working in the recruiting department at UVA. So the things that we're doing are well beyond you – know, like we're, we're working out. We work out tomorrow morning. We, we have a 6.45 morning lift. We go till 8 o'clock um we have we start late as a school, so we start at 8 30 or at risk guys go to study hall at eight o'clock. So we have guys in study hall from 8 to 8 30 part of the reason why last market period had 62 guys, 60 of them are over an 80 GPA. So I mean you know, between study hall check-in, we do class checks, everything that I did in college. the so stuff that they're not used to, you know practices, we film Tuesday and Wednesday's practice. The coaches have to get grades on all their players, and they send them to the players. They, so the players are getting graded in practice. So if you have a fifty, if you have a grade of fifty in practice, and you're a starter, you're now a backup. You know, we we give out scouting reports. We give out a, a, a tip sheet middle of the week off of any corrections. We give out a position test. If you fail the position test, you don't start. Uh, you know, things that we hold our players accountable. You know, we're we're going through a like a core leadership program that I had gotten in college where we split the team up into five teams. We, we put like two or three leaders on each team to develop into captains. They're competing every week. Um, you know, at the end of every quarter, we give you a pizza party. And, you know, it's just the kids seem to be having fun. Our numbers are growing. We're getting bigger and stronger. I took over the strength program. So I'm running the same program I ran in college. Uh, we've run out of weight in the weight room. I mean, two weeks ago, we're standing around. The guys are like, we got no more forty-five pound plates. So, and we dropped in class because the, the enrollment in New York, as you know, is going down, and a lot of the enrollments people are moving out. So, we dropped from A to B, um, which you know is probably better for us. And uh, you know, we we got a seven game schedule. We 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 played Morristown Beard from New Jersey last year, who I knew from my Jersey years. And typically in college, you'd sign a two-year contract. So we made the decision to go back to them, even though that's going to give us five away games. Because honestly, it's the right thing to do. You know, Tim did the right thing by coming to play me this year. So I told our guys, if they want to play four home games, they got to win two on the road and two at home. And they get them in the playoffs.
0: So one thing that we always love to do on this show is give advice to high school athletes we've been pretty much doing that this whole interview. So I want to shift a little bit of the advice portion to go away from what to do to get yourself to be a college athlete and all those things. Cause that's, I mean, we've been doing it the whole interview. And I want to talk about one thing that you touched on earlier when you're talking about your days at William and Patterson is the fact that out of 125 guys, you had 119 with degrees and where they're at now and how important it was for you as a coach to, the type of men you were creating and you talked about the opportunities you've given these high school kids. So if you could talk to a coach, I want to have you give advice to a coach, to a young coach who's maybe just getting into the field. They're like, ah, yes, I get to coach football. My job is coaching football. What would you tell a coach about, you know, the opportunity that lies ahead and the impact that they can make on a kid's life?
1: I would say, I would say one, um, It's not all about football initially in the beginning. um, If you have athletes, then, you know, it kind of makes it easier. Um, You know, I would say never think, you know, too much. Uh, That's the one thing I pride myself in, you know, even as doing this as long as I've been doing, you know, people are enamored by the fact that I've had other high school coaches ask me. You know, when the season ends, we we take three days off to clean everything out. And then we give everybody a, a meeting time. You get a 20-minute le- meeting slot. So if there's 60-some-odd kids, I meet with everybody from varsity to modified. I meet with my whole coaching staff, the training staff, the equipment staff, the anyone that's involved in the program. So it's like 105 interviews that I meet with every person for 20 minutes. It takes almost a week and a half. I then take all the stuff and compile it together to determine some of the things we did right and some of the things we did wrong. Do a self-assessment. Look at the things we compared to the stuff we did last year. Come up with decisions for next year. And then I spend, then I give it out to the team in a short blurb after Thanksgiving. And then I spend the next two months calling mentors, going to visits, going to camps, going to campuses, watching videos. I think that's the biggest thing that's lost. Is, you know, is the fact that that self-development piece, you know, being hard on yourself and and, and trying to develop because uh, then then that's how the players are going to develop. So I think, you know, between the not not always being football. So I don't I don't like I mean, in the interim, I'm cutting film up. But like now is the time of the year, like like this, for even though I'm a high school coach, we still do it on a 12 month year job because I don't coach another sport. So like now the month of March, we have meetings as a staff three times a week. And now we're going over X's and O's. What are we going to change? What are we going to add? Well, what do we need to do? And we do that in March and April so that in May and June when we get the kids in the field, now we start to make those corrections. Um, and I think that the most important thing, and one of my assistants is at North Rockland, and he's doing a great job. And, and he was He was awesome he was my offensive coordinator at William Patterson. Says, Let the kids have some fun. Like, you know, like, we'll, we'll bust their chops. But on Wednesday mornings, we have team run days. Well, occasionally, like last week, instead of team run, we played dodgeball. We split them up in the teams. They played dodgeball for 35 minutes. You'd have thought that we gave them Big Macs and fries. They were happier than in the world. You know, every once in a while, we'll, we'll play a game of kickball. We'll take out the volleyball nets and play volleyball. If we're on the baseball field, one year we played – uh we played wiffle ball. Um, you know, we, one year we were in the swimming pool. We did re- relay races in the pool. You know, just trying, you know, but the same token, it's not all fun. It's got to be, you know, if you watch some of, I, I love watching a lot of the Deion Sanders stuff with Colorado. You know, like they're, they came in hard. There was a hard stance from the beginning, which is the way you're supposed to be when you're taking a program from here and you're trying to build it. I'm hard on my players. I'm hard on my coaches. I'm hard on everyone. But I'm the first person to be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a bench competition today, or we're we're gonna have a pizza party or whatever the case is. And the kids love that. The kids love it because then you're you're not just a drill sergeant, you're an actual coach. And that's where those players in 20 years are going to want to come back and they're going to, they're going to, you're going to be the first to know when they have a kid, when they get married, when they're successful, because you cared about them. The one thing I'll, I'll leave you with that just happened recently is we had a kid. We just added to the team, transferred from another school district. And I, and I'm, and I work as a lead replacement and, and I give out detentions. And I actually given him detention one day or of something that happened. He got bullied and, and whatnot, I think. And, and he ended up, you know, doing detention and whatnot. He came back to my office and I see him. They want to look to play football. And he's been with us for five and a half weeks and hasn't missed a single lift. He missed a Wednesday lift and we do everything via email. So I emailed him because I hadn't heard from him. And I said, James, is everything okay? I haven't heard from you. Two days later, he responded saying, thank you, coach Flora. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever done. I'm fine. I'll see you in a day. I saw him the next day. I was like, "He's like, Coach, man, I was sold on the program, but I love it now, man." He goes, "He goes, you didn't have to ask me what how I was doing." I said, "Well, that's the way I am. That's the way we do things here. We talk about family. We talk about togetherness. As much as I yell and scream and, and I and I'm demanding, I still care about you." And that, so that well, I'd say those would be the three big pieces. It would be the the constantly learning and educating. Making it fun and then and then obviously the that final piece too. So
0: Coach, I've had such an absolute blast having you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: No, told, this has been great. I appreciate it. I I'm I'm honored that you you reached out to me and and hopefully anybody that sees this, um, you know, they learn something from it. Because I always tell people I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem.
0: Coach, I definitely think you're a part of that solution based off the last. 30 years of work you've put into this game. So thank you so much for everything, Coach.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tobias. Let's definitely stay
0: in touch. Yes, sir. That is that is without a doubt. And, folks, that was Coach Jerry Flora, head coach of Sleepy Hollow High School, but like we've come to learn, so much more than just a coach. But that's all we got for you guys this time. Like I always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.